that. See, even it, see that's what, the, that's what I get. That's how the Lord humbled me. I talked about Jamie, and now look, you know, still, still it happened to me. Man. Oh. But, uh, but all jokes aside, it is, a, it is a joy, and it is an honor and a privilege, a privilege to open up God's word uh, with you all this morning. And as was mentioned, um, we're going to be looking in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 10. And <clears throat> I want to just provide you with a heads up that the purpose of my message this morning is twofold. Um, for those of you who are already in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, this message is, is, to, is meant to encourage you, like the Lord himself, on how to evangelize, right? Because the greatest evangelist that has ever walked this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, amen? And so, for those of you who are desiring to reach the lost, look no further than God's word, and look no, for, and look no further than to the Lord himself, who is the living word of God, and he will teach us about how we are to evangelize the lost, my other purpose, and I will not uh, hold back and I will not be ashamed, it is to strongly plead with those of you who are currently not in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to beg you that you will listen to this message as intently as you can because it is God's desire that all will come to the knowledge of the truth. And so my desire is that you would hear God calling your name today and that you would repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Praise God. And so with that in mind, because of the sake of time, and I am very bad with time, I have my son holding me accountable because um, I understand I only have 40 minutes, but uh, if we go a little longer... Hopefully you guys will show me some grace. But, um, but please open up your copy again of God's Word to Mark chapter 10, where we will be looking closely at a man who was willing to do almost anything for eternal life. And I am, want to direct you to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, where we will be looking at the rich young ruler. And I'll be reading from the ESV version, and the Scripture reads as follows. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the same, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Praise God for his infallible word. So in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, loved ones, we will observe four truths that you must accept to inherit eternal life. Four truths that you must accept to inherit eternal life. Truth number one, you must accept that Jesus is the only one to run to for eternal life. Truth number two, you must accept that Jesus is God. Truth number three, you must accept that you have broken God's commandments. And truth number four, you must accept 
Jesus' invitation to eternal life on his terms. Amen? Amen. So now as we parachute into this text, I wanted to provide a quick overview for us to get better context on where the Lord Jesus is at this particular time in his ministry. John Mark, being led by the Holy Spirit, informed us, and actually in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, that the area where the Lord and his disciples were was further north in Capernaum. And in the beginning of chapter 10, we see the Lord and his disciples leaving from Capernaum and are now heading south towards Jerusalem as the Lord is preparing the final lap of his earthly ministry. And if you were to quickly look through Mark chapter 10, we see the Lord Jesus once again engaging with the Pharisees and teaching them what the scriptures have to say about divorce because they had an unbiblical view of divorce. And then the Lord Jesus Christ lovingly had to correct his disciples because some parents were bringing their children to Jesus, which is what all parents should do, is bring their children to Jesus. And the, the disciples, of course, we love the disciples. What did they do? But they rebuked the parents for bringing their children to Jesus. And the Lord then had to correct them on how that they should be bringing the children unto him, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And now that brings us to the text in which we'll be spending our time in this morning. Verse 17, again, it says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up. Now, who is this man? Although in the Synoptic Gospels, this man is not identified, we learn from Matthew chapter 19, verse 22, that this man was young and that he owned much property. In Luke chapter 18, verse 23, we learn that this same man was a ruler and that he was extremely rich. And your Bible probably has this section titled as the rich young ruler. And Pastor John MacArthur in his commentary notes that this rich young man was probably a, a ruler in the synagogue. So with a description like rich, young, ruler, and owner of much property, we can conclude that this man was probably on the cover of Jerusalem GQ magazine. All right, some of you got that. Okay, the rest of you, you'll get it later. All right, but for this man to have been a ruler at such a young age, he certainly demonstrated to the elders that he was not only keeping the law, but was also well-learned in the Torah and that he was capable of being in such a high position. Yet, in spite of having money, power, respect, and religion, we find that this man still has a deep need. And you're probably wondering, how do we know that? Well, we know that because it's displayed in his running, which brings us to the first truth in our outline. Truth number one, you must accept that Jesus is the only one to run to for eternal life. Now, this man running, I just want to quickly ask you, have you ever had to run for something? Of course you have, right? I mean, probably you're running to, um, you know, burn off that pound cake and ice cream that you had last night, right? Or maybe you had to run to catch the bus or you were running late for work, right? Usually when we're running, it's because we need something. And this man, he did the same. He ran because he is in need. And Mark is the only writer within the Gospels that tell us that this rich young ruler ran. He's also the only one that points out that he knelt before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, loved ones, this man is a ruler, and yet he bowed his knee to another. That's very critical. That's very critical. And the word knelt in Greek, it means to fall on one's knees, either in reverence and honor or to implore aid. And it's the same word used 
In Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 16, the scripture reads, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Now, this man who had the demon-possessed son, he was very desperate. And that's why he knelt before the Lord Jesus Christ and he cried out that the Lord Jesus Christ would cure his son. And this rich young ruler's actions are just as desperate as this this father who had a demon-possessed son. For he needed to know how to inherit eternal life. And of all the people that he could have ran to, praise God, he ran to Jesus. Praise God, he ran to Jesus. He probably tried running to his fellow uh, rabbis, but they didn't give him a sufficient answer. He probably ran to his rich buddies while they were out playing golf, but they probably didn't also give him a sufficient answer. And yet, he ran to Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you a quick question, loved ones. Who are you running to for answers about eternal life? Who are you bowing your knee to and seeking direction on how to inherit eternal life? Because if you're listening to the world, the world wants us to believe that there is more than one way to God, that surely God is too big to be so narrow. Have you ever heard that before? I'm sure you have. I'm sure you've also seen the coexist stickers, right? Because that's what the world wants us to believe, that God is some sort of smorgasbord, and we could just go up and just take a little of this and take a little of that. But Proverbs 14, 12 has something to say about that, and praise God. The Lord says in his word, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. So Jesus is the only one, loved ones, that you should be running to for eternal life. Everyone and everything else is death. And may I remind you in John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord himself declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Praise God. So the rich young ruler, he ran. And might I also just bring to your attention that that was, that was not a very honorable thing to do in that time. Men who were uh, in prestige and in positions of power, they wouldn't run. And that's why the story of the prodigal is so, is so beautiful and so warm and just so a reminder of the love and the ama- amazing grace of God. Because that father, when he saw his son, he ran towards him. That wasn't a very dignified thing to do. And so this rich young ruler, he's showing his need. He is in desperation. He needs to know how to inherit eternal life. So he ran and he knelt. And then he asked. He asked Jesus for help on how to inherit eternal life. And let's go back to the scriptures because I just want to remind you that he says, good teacher, good teacher. And I want you to know it was very common for people to refer to rabbis as teacher, but nowhere, nowhere in scripture do we see anyone referring to rabbis as good teacher Pastor David Guzik, in his commentary, uh, makes note of this. He says this title was never applied to any other rabbi in Jesus' day because it implied sinlessness, a complete goodness. And so this is very interesting that this young rabbi, 
this rich young ruler, the ruler of the synagogue, he recognized something very distinctly different about Jesus Christ that he didn't see in himself and that he certainly didn't see in other teachers. He referred to Jesus Christ as good teacher. And how does the Lord respond to this? Let's look at verse 18. The Lord says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. (laughs) Praise God. So we are now at the second point of our outline. You must accept that Jesus is God. Now, loved ones, Jesus was not flattered or, or taken away with this greeting. He does something very, very subtle, but it's, it's, it's very bold. He makes an affirmation of his deity, all right? And it's very important that we know this and that we understand this because oftentimes, for those of you who are trying to evangelize, you'll probably hear someone say, I've never, I've never seen anywhere in the Bible where Jesus says that he is God. You can lovingly and boldly point them to the scriptures, all right? Because Jesus made it very clear. (laughs) He made it very clear that he is truly God and truly man, all right? Loved ones, may I just remind you in John chapter 8, verses 56 to 58, Jesus says to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Mm. Now, for you Bible study students, you you should already know. Your mind should already be churning. Where else in the scriptures did you hear someone say, I am? Praise God. I got a student right here amongst me. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Amen. The Lord, when Moses wanted to know who it is that was sending him, to be the deliverer of all of Israel, the Lord said, tell them, I am, I am. And so Jesus Christ, he makes it very clear that he is God. Again, in John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? Verse 33, listen. The Jews answered him, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Loved ones, the evidence is very clear in the scriptures. Jesus Christ not only affirmed his deity, but those who walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw God incarnate. And that is exactly who we need to point the lost unto to. We need to point them unto Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made it very clear that there is no one perfectly good except God alone. And so he is trying to not only help this rich young ruler, that he is not only God in flesh, but Jesus is going to help this man understand that he has a sinful nature, and that's a problem. But we'll get into that shortly. And so... I just want to encourage you, loved ones, as you are endeavoring to point the lost unto Jesus Christ, please don't get tripped up on lies from the pit of hell. You can know for sure, because the Bible makes it very clear, Jesus is the only one worth running to for eternal life, and Jesus Christ is God in flesh, and that should embolden us as we endeavor to go out and to reach the lost sheep. And so now, after the Lord is 
testing the heart of this rich young ruler to see whether he believes that he was talking to God in flesh. Now Jesus is going to test this man to see if he even knows himself. Verses 19 to 20, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pick up back at 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Praise God. And so we've now reached the third point of our outline. You must accept that you have broken God's commandments. Now, I don't know how many of you um, are on YouTube uh, and are familiar with a ministry called Living Waters. Are you familiar with a brother by the name of Ray Comfort? Any of you? All right, we've got a few head nods. Praise God. So I'm in good, good comfort. All right, good place, good place. So Ray Comfort, for those of you who may not know, is a fellow evangelist. And this brother faithfully goes out and walks the streets or rides his bike with his little dog on his bike, and he goes out and he proclaims the gospel. He faithfully proclaims the gospel. And I love one of the techniques that Brother Ray Comfort often uses is that he'll walk up to the average man, the average woman, and he'll ask them a question. And the question that he'll ask them is, he'll, and he's from New Zealand, and so I'm going to attempt a New Zealand uh, accent. No, 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 I'm not going to. It's not good. It's not good, so I'm not going to do it. But, uh, but Brother Ray, he'll go up and he'll ask him, he'll say, do you think you're a good person? And can I, can I just tell you, most people answer in the affirmative. Yes, 10 out of 10 people. Yes, I am a good person. And so Ray will then lovingly ask them, okay, can I ask you a few more questions? All right? And so this person is all excited because they get an opportunity to prove how good they are. People love to tell you how good they are. Right? And so what Brother Ray will do is he'll just lovingly ask them, uh, how many lies have you told? And this person may boldly, hundreds, thousands, unashamed about it too. And Ray will say, okay, uh, what, what do you call someone who tells a lie? The person will finally admit, you, you call them a liar. And he says, okay, good. Um, have you ever stolen anything, regardless of its value? Ray will ask them. And they'll say, yeah, sure, everybody did. You know, when I was a kid, I stole a pack of gum. Everybody, everybody refers to when they were a kid. They stole a pack of gum or, or a chocolate bar, as if that makes it any better, right? And Ray will then, with his piercing eyes, say, okay, what do you call someone who has stolen something? And the person will say, a thief. And he says, good, good, okay. Uh, can I ask you another question? Um, have you ever said God's name in vain? And the person may even uh, say a profanity even right there and, and use the Lord's name in vain right then and there, unashamedly. And Ray will say, the Bible calls that blasphemy. And he says, one more question. Have you ever looked upon a person with lust in your heart? Or have you ever had any type of, uh, any type of sex before marriage? The person, you know, they may be a little bit less bold now, but they're shaking their head, and he says, okay, do you know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that adultery. And so right then and there, Brother Ray, he just lovingly walks them through how they've broken four of God's Ten Commandments. And then he'll ask them, how do you think you'll stand before God? 
And do you know people will still think, ah, I think he'll let me in. God is, he's forgiving, right? He's forgiving, you know? They want to remember that truth. Yes, God is forgiving, but only to those who have repented of their sins and run to Christ. Now, do you know, loved ones, why does Ray do this? Why does he take the time to walk people through the law of God? It's the same reason that Jesus Christ did it. It's because he wanted to show this man, you are a sinner. You have violated God's holy law. And that is not a joke. Too many people think that it's, some, it's no big deal to sin. Everybody's a sinner. That's what, that's what you hear people say. Everybody's a sinner. That's right. Everyone is a sinner. Because the Bible says that. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Not even one. And Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned. Not some, not a few, not half of the world population. No, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that would be no big deal. Except for the fact that there is a God. And he is not some grandfather who looks at sin and winks his eye and says, it's okay, no problem. It'll be a little secret between me and you. No, 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 no. The God of the Scriptures, he is holy. He is so infinitely holy, we cannot even conceive his holiness. In Isaiah chapter 6, when the prophet was given a glimpse of the holiness of God, he cried out judgment upon himself because he saw just a glimpse of the holiness of God. He heard the seraphim circling around the throne of God, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And loved ones, we need to point to the holiness of God. We need to make sure that the person that we're speaking to, that they understand that God is perfectly holy. And he requires of each and every one of us that we be holy as he is holy. Matthew 5, 48 says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How many of us in here are perfect? Not one of us. Not one of us. And I'm so glad no one raised their hand. Because none of us can boast. None of us. And this rich young ruler, unfortunately, he did not really understand how sinful he was. He did not really understand. And maybe it's because we, we could probably cut him a little slack, right? Because it's not, like he, it's not like he had access to James chapter 2, verse 10, which says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one area, you become guilty of them all. He didn't have that scripture yet, so maybe he didn't know about the holiness of God and what God required. No, no. Obviously, 
He was a teacher of the law. He was well familiar. God made it absolutely clear. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Psalm 24.1, the verse reminds us, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We all belong to God. And he is the only one that has the authority to tell us how to live. And he told us how to live. He said, be perfect. That's a problem. Because none of us are perfect. And there's a perfect penalty for our not being perfect. Romans 6.23 reminds us, for the wages of sin is death. Now, I don't know what your occupation may be, but I'm sure that if your paycheck was death, you would quit that job. You would say, that's okay, keep your check. I'm going to go find another job on Indeed, right? You're getting out of there. But loved ones, that's what we deserve. We deserve to die. And worse than that, Hebrews 9.27 reminds us that man is appointed to die once and after that face judgment. And God has a perfect judgment for those who think that they're good enough to get to heaven on their own merit, that they're good enough to get to heaven on their own righteousness. Revelation 20 verse 15 reminds us that anyone's name that was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that is what sinners deserve. Those who have violated God's word, we deserve death. We deserve judgment. We deserve the wrath of God. And that's the bad news. And loved ones, I know sometimes in our heart's desire, we, we may want someone to come to know the good news, and we may be so eager to give it to them, but we must tell them the bad news first. They must understand that they have broken the law of God. That's the only way that they can appreciate the fact that there is good news. Because if the Holy Spirit has convicted them of their sin, which is what he does when we tell people what sin is, when we walk them through the scriptures and show them how they have violated the holy law of God, then they will realize that they deserve this holy God's wrath and punishment. And then and only then, then they could be open to hearing the good news. And there is good news. And so, for the sake of time, I just want to get back to this rich young ruler because for some reason, and we don't know, the Scriptures don't make it clear to us whether he was deceived or whether he really, really just didn't understand. Because here we see in verse 20, he says to the Lord Jesus Christ, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. All these I have kept from my youth. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. And that's the whole point. Isaiah 64, 6 reminds us that even our most righteous deeds are filthy rags. God cannot accept filthy rags. He wants a perfect sacrifice, and none of us can give that. None of us can produce that. And this rich young ruler, like many people, thinking that they can get to heaven without, without repenting of their sins and trusting in Jesus Christ, they will have to stand before the judge of all judges. 
with no representation. That's a horrible thought. The scripture says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you think a holy and righteous God crushed his son in order to provide redemption for unworthy, undeserving, wretched sinners like us? Do you think that he will take lightly your coming before him thinking that you can get to heaven on your own? That's foolish. And God even says in Ezekiel 18, verse, 30, verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who, does, who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. This rich young ruler, after Jesus Christ had walked him through the commandments, which he should have known as the ruler of the synagogue, he knew the commandments. He knew it. He knew it in his mind. But he didn't know it in his heart. And Jesus is going to expose that. This rich young ruler, he may have thought that he was being very sincere in his keeping the law from him being a little boy. But Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 reminds us, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. This rich young ruler, he unfortunately did not understand that he could not be justified by his keeping the law. And even though his heart was still tugging on him, showing him that something is missing, distinctly missing from his life, this man was still thinking that he was worthy to go to heaven on his own righteousness. And now, loved ones, you and I, if we're sharing the gospel with someone like this, whether they're being very sincere in their thinking or maybe they're a little self-deceived, we might start to get a little impatient at this point because it's like, I don't think you really heard what I said. <laughs> God requires that you be perfect, and you're not perfect. But look at Jesus Christ. Look at how the Lord responds to him. And it's very important that we see this, loved ones. Verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What a mighty, compassionate, and merciful God we serve. And loved ones, just as I shared with you earlier, the bad news about standing before a holy and righteous God on your own, yeah, that's terrifying. But the good news Praise God that there's good news, right? Is that God didn't give us what we deserve, which is his holy wrath and punishment. Instead, God gave us what we don't deserve. He sends his only son, his perfect son, his son in whom he loves, 
to go and to do the impossible because he was the only one that can do it. Jesus Christ, being truly God, left his heavenly throne where he was worshiped and adorned by his creation to come into this world. He humbled himself. This is God. He humbled himself to take on human flesh, to submit himself to the very process of pregnancy which he himself created. He's conceived in the womb of a virgin so that he could identify with us as human beings. But he had to come into this world in a very unique way, in a miraculous way, to show that he is unlike us. He is truly divine. And all throughout his life, not once did he violate the law of God. We sang about it earlier. God and helpless babe, from a baby to a full-grown man, not once did he violate any of God's commandments. And the Jews knew of 613 commandments. They have the moral law, the ceremonial law. They have civil laws. Christ never violated any one of them. And that's good news because he was the only one that can go to the cross to pay the penalty for what you and I have done. His perfect life for our wretched life. And Jesus Christ bore the wrath of his Father on that cross in our place. And we should be most excited about that because Jesus Christ died the death that we deserved. He didn't deserve it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Therefore, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. We had no righteousness of our own. We needed a perfect righteousness. And Jesus Christ provided it with his very blood. That was the only thing that was able to wash away the the stains of our sin. And praise God that the story didn't end there. Because if he just died, then we should be concerned. But praise God, there is good news. And loved ones, remember in your gospel presentations, it's not enough that Jesus died on the cross. No, no, no. We must remember that Jesus Christ was also buried because that's what you do with dead people. You bury them, right? But greater than that, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. That is where our hope lies. We serve a living God We serve a living Savior. And after appearing to over 500 witnesses, that is incredible witness. That is an incredible testimony, okay? You go to a court, regardless of what the charges are against you, you got 500 witnesses, you're winning that case. You're winning that case. Do you understand me? Unless the judge got a serious bribe going on, you should be winning that case, all right? But Jesus Christ, after appearing to over 500 witnesses, he ascended back to heaven where he came from. And he's now sitting at the right hand of of the Father, and he's interceding on our behalf. And loved ones, he is our living hope. And people need to know that. People need to hear the good news that there is a Savior. Every other Savior or supposed Savior is dead in the grave. We can excavate their bodies and we could see their remains, but only one tomb is empty, and that is the tomb of Jesus Christ because he is alive. And that's good news. 
And that's what Jesus Christ is demonstrating right now. He is looking upon this rich young ruler, and he's looking at him, and he loved him. He loved him, just like how he loved Mary and Martha, and just as he loved Lazarus. He's looking at this rich young ruler and loving him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And so now this is the fourth point of our outline. You must accept Jesus' invitation to eternal life on his terms, okay? And so hang in there, loved ones. I know I only have about five more minutes, but hang in there, all right? And so... Jesus Christ, he is not trying to start some new political party, right? This is not the Green Party. He's not trying to tell the rich young ruler, hey, this is what you need to do. To f- this is what you need to do, right? Sell all your riches and come follow me, right? This is a test. This is a test that the Lord Jesus Christ is putting this rich young ruler through right now because he wants to expose to this rich young ruler as Jesus Christ walked him through the six commandments that deal with man's relationship to one another, he's trying to expose the fact that you have violated the first commandment. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And so Jesus Christ is trying to lovingly show this rich young ruler, rich young ruler, you do not love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You love your riches. And Walter Chantry says in his book, Today's Gospel, Authentic or Synthetic, he says, and I quote, it was also an essential demand of the gospel that he forsake his wealth. He must turn his back on his green God to have heavenly treasures. This is the heart of true repentance, end quote. And so the rich young ruler He doesn't realize it, but the Lord is giving him instructions on how to repent of his his having broken the first commandment and to run to him and to receive him who is worthy of his worship, the Lord our God, and to place his faith and trust in him. And you would think with the way how this man started, I mean, he ran. He knelt before the Lord Jesus Christ and he asked him, what must I do to be saved? We would think this is this is a slam dunk. Thank you, Lord. How many people run up to you every day and say, hey, how do I get saved? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And here, this man with this great start comes before God incarnate. And of all the questions that he could have asked, he asked God, how can I get saved? And now he's given an answer. And how does he respond? Verse 22. Disheartened. Grieved. He is distressed by what he just heard. Verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is so heartbreaking. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary that was martyred, he famously said, he is no fool 
who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This rich young ruler, he's holding on to his possessions, thinking that his money can save him. And there's a lot of people out there in this world who are thinking that their money is sufficient to buy them eternal life. It's not. He, now we don't know how the rest of the story ends for the rich young ruler, but if he continued it in sorrow, that is even greater quantified right now as he is in torment. And that's what awaits every man and woman who refuses to let go of whatever God they have made up in their own imagination, whatever false God that they're holding on to, they are dangling over the fiery pits of hell, holding on to a thread. And we have to love them enough to tell them to repent. Repent. You're going in the wrong direction. I know it may seem like the right direction. There's a way that seems right to a man. All these different religions in the world prove that. But the end leads to death. Only one way leads to eternal life. And there is nothing in this life worth holding on to and receiving the wrath of God unbridled in hell for eternity. Run to Christ today. And if you are here today, it's not by coincidence. It is God's providence, and it is his mercy towards you, and he's calling you. For 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2 says, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Don't put this off. Don't put this off like some home project that you need to get done or some homework. No, no, no. Now is the day. Now is the time to run to Christ and to cry out to him in mercy and receive eternal life. And so, loved ones, what would you do for eternal life? Praise God, Christianity is the only religion that teaches us it is done already. All you need to do is receive the gift. Receive it. Believe that God has already provided a ransom. God has already perfectly atoned for your sins through his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection to be sufficient to cause you to stand before a holy and righteous God and now be reconciled. We who were formerly enemies, now we are friends. But it's because of what Christ has done and not because of what we have done. And so, for those of you who are in Christ, please, I know it's hard. I don't like being rejected either. I want every time that I evangelize that everyone, you know, I, I want the day of Pentecost. I want 3,000 souls to be saved, you know? If you have truly tasted of the goodness of the Lord, don't you want to see that in the lives of others? Of course you do. And so don't give up. Keep praying. Keep speaking the truth in love. Keep proclaiming the gospel. Don't give up. 
because we serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. And there's someone out there who needs to hear this good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.